0: Hello and welcome to The Stack. On this week's show, I speak with journalist Chico Felici, responsible for one of the most talked about podcasts ever in Brazil, A Casa da Mulher Abandonada, in partnership with Brazilian daily Folha de São Paulo. Plus, an exciting launch, Vogue Philippines, a beautiful 422-page tome. Enjoy the show. From Midori House in London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. I will start the show with the man that stopped Brazil with his investigative podcast, A Mulher da Casa Abandonada, which investigated the life of a mysterious woman living in a house in upscale neighborhood of Higienópolis in São Paulo. The podcast was made in partnership with Brazilian daily newspaper Folha de São Paulo. It is a fantastic work by journalist and author Chico Felici that I had the pleasure to speak while em São Paulo. Chico tells me why audio is the media of choice for Brazilians. Os funcionários
1: desistem de dar atenção à mulher, viram as costas e retomam o seu trabalho. Maria atravessa a rua enquanto rumina para ela mesma e para quem quiser
0: ouvir. Eu tô nervosa. <risos> Isso é uma coisa que uma maldade. já fizeram ali. Chico Felice, a pleasure to have you here at Monaco 24. I'm a big fan of your podcast as well, as many Brazilians were. But Chico, my first question to you, A Mulher da Casa Abandonada, it's been such a hit in Brazil. I think it's perhaps one of the first podcasts that had such attention. Do you think Brazilians are finally, or perhaps they are listening to podcasts already? It's
1: a funny thing because for years now we have been listening that 2018 will be the year of the podcast in Brazil. Then 2019 will be the year of the podcast in Brazil, 2020, and so on. But I guess it, it was the first time a podcast really hit the mainstream media and was listened to by millions of people and was the talk of the town. Everyone was talking about it. It was on television. So perhaps 2022 is indeed the year of the podcast in Brazil.
0: And it makes sense that Brazilians would like that because Brazilians are very digital-friendly, right? I know you're kind of an expert on that. You look at the memes. I think Brazil, let's be honest, is the best country when it comes to memes, right? We are a big
1: meme industry. We're the biggest meme industry in the world. We are very fond of technology and Brazilians are also very fond of radio. Radio listening in Brazil is still one of the biggest ways of media consumption, so I guess... The Brazilians are used to listening to stories or interviews or they're a very, not necessarily visual media consumer, but also an audio media consumer. Perhaps people only didn't know of the existence of podcasts and now they're starting to discover, which is good for the
0: market. A lot of Brazilians know the story about your podcast, but I wonder if you can give a brief introduction uh, for our international audience.
1: Sure, gladly. So. During the pandemic, I moved to this neighborhood in which we are right now, it's called Higienópolis. It's a wealthy neighborhood in downtown São Paulo, one of the wealthiest. So people who live here are TV hosts, a former president, Fernando Henrique Cardoso. It's a really wealthy neighborhood. And then weeks after moving to, to my new place, I discovered there's an abandoned mansion in one of the wealthiest and richest spots in the neighborhood. So the existence of this abandoned mansion made me question, why is there an abandoned mansion in in a place where where apartments and buildings cost millions of pounds? So I started looking into the house at first. And after a few months, I discovered there was a person living inside this house, a older woman who dressed in eccentric clothes. She dressed in really dirty, used clothes, and she covered her face in some kind of white cream. No one knows what, what it was, but she was never seen without the cream. And people just knew her as Mari, or Mary, if you will. But no one knew exactly who she was. And then I got into this obsessive and very selfish investigation to discover who this woman was. And it turns out she was a person that had been accused by the FBI in the United States Of keeping a housemaid in slave-like conditions of work for twenty years, and in two thousand and one she fled to Brazil, while her former husband was judged in in the United States, and after a trial was considered guilty, and she was hidden ever since in this abandoned house for twenty years. She was here, and she was never judged by the crimes of which she was accused. So yeah, I guess that's the story of the podcast. The story of me trying to help someone, a, someone I thought was a poor old lady, but turned out she had been wanted by the FBI and had fled both Brazilian justice and the American justice.
0: And, of course, you found the story, and, and you did the podcast beautifully. You know, people said it, it, it's like a book, you know, in a way, very uh, literary almost. Tell me about the partnership with Folha de São Paulo. Did you approach them? Were they receptive to the idea? Because uh, perhaps they saw, well, there's definitely a gap in the market for us to invest on that. Mm -hmm. Tell us a bit more about that. And it's interesting because Folha de São Paulo is a kind of a newspaper. I know they have a digital presence, but they're more known for the paper, I guess.
1: They're a very traditional print newspaper, one of the most traditional in Latin America. And I've worked there for 10 years. Uh, that's where I learned how to report. And now that I'm a freelancer, I'm writing books, I'm creating podcasts. When I started investigating this story, and when I came to the point where I realized Mari was actually Margarita Bonetti, the person who had fled American justice system and was wanted by the FBI and was here in the middle of the city, I called someone at Folia, a former boss who now... It's the director of the newsroom, and I said, I got a story for you. And it took him 30 seconds to say, let's do it. So that's how it took place. And then I head to America. I went to the United States, to the Washington, D.C. region, to discover whatever had happened there, how the trial had been conducted, and where the victim was. Because the victim disappeared after the trial. And I was able to track the victim down and speak to her. And she's alive and she's well after being a victim of such hideous crimes for decades.
0: And I think your podcast hit kind of a spot with Brazilians, because it is a slice of Brazil, you know, there's a little bit of you know racism, a little bit of social inequality, if I may say, and a little bit of drama. For example, I'm sorry, but I did laugh a little bit when Luisa Mel went to rescue the dogs, you know, it it did became a little bit of a circus. So don't you think as well the the telenovela elements Mm -hmm. as well helped with everything? I think that Of course, it it
1: helped a lot, creating a narrative, because Margarida is a really interesting person who almost comes across as a character. Because the way she speaks to people who are serving her, she's very kind, but at the same time very patronizing, which is very typical of a Brazilian elite. Mm. And the way the neighborhood, many people in the neighborhood came to her defense, as if trying to preserve a pact. trying me not to address this issue, which is a big issue in Brazil in 2022 still, which is exploration of work. Slave-like work in Brazil and Brazilian houses is still one of the largest in the world. It's a sad record, but we keep it. So yeah, I guess there was a very telenovela aspect to it. And after the podcast started airing, it became the world became a Black Mirror episode. People started grouping around the house, hundreds of people and clapping and calling her names. And then Luisa Mel, which is a really famous animal activist here in Brazil, entered the house and took both of her dogs. And it was on television live two hours a day. So yeah, I guess we do like the drama and we do like an aspect which is very telenovela. Even if we're handling serious issues such as this a a crime that represents the whole country for me the house represents brazil it's the way brazil still treats domestic workers it's the way people are still enslaved in 2022
0: are you already on the hunt for your next podcast story do you think there is a scope is that perhaps what you want to do because i know Mm -hmm. you are a writer as well you wrote wonderful biographies of incredible brazilian characters like elki maravilha which Mm -hmm. i love can you, I wonder what can you say to us about that.
1: I'm halfway done. Um, oh, wow. um, yeah, when mm-hmm. Mulher da Casa Abandonada was on, I was already working on my next podcast, which just, things just appear in my life. And, and such as Margarita appeared in my life, another person had appeared in my life in early 2022, wanting to come clear and to, how can I put this? Uh, she wanted to denounce... a a cult Mm -hmm. to which she had been a member and she had broke with this cult. And she said, I'm going to the police if you want to join me and I'll look for justice. It's been now almost eight months. I've been joining her in her quest for justice after breaking up with a cult here in Sao Paulo as well.
0: That's fantastic and is this a folia partnership as well or something else i'm
1: uh, still unclear i'm negotiating with both folia and a couple of players such as amazon and netflix but i guess it's almost done really I'm, I'm i'm about finishing here i'm about to do one of the last interviews so i guess mid-november it must be
0: done It's very exciting and Chico it's so nice talking to you you know we're here in brazil talking a lot about elections you know, it's been really tough in the last four years in Brazil. But I know you're very, you're a guy very much in tune with the cultural world, what's happening in Brazil. Do you think our, the Brazilian culture side, podcasts, magazines, newspapers, name it, was it affected? Or, or are there are a lot of people actually, perhaps fighting against everything that is happening there. Do you see with positive eyes what's happening in Brazil culturally?
1: Uh, it's hard to be optimistic here because. The, Brazilian, the whole Brazilian cultural market, uh, theater, poetry, literature, you name it, even the media was deeply wounded by the Bolsonaro administration. So everyone's struggling. I mean, people have the will to fight, but they don't have the resources to fight. So we're living in dark times. It's been a nightmare. The past four years have been a nightmare for whoever lives producing culture in Brazil. So it's, it's a real... But I mean, now I can be a little optimistic. I guess that's
0: about to come to an end.
1: Eu vou para internet e encontro a combinação dos termos FBI e Margarida Bonetti no site da Newsweek, uma revista semanal que existe há quase 100 anos e é uma das mais respeitadas do mundo. Eu clico. Na tela, abre uma reportagem de 21 anos atrás com a manchete Slavery's New Face. A nova cara da escravidão. O
0: texto narra a história de René e Margarida Bonetti. Thank you very much, Chico. You can listen to the A Mulher da Casa Abandonada podcast in all the main platforms, from Spotify to YouTube. And finally, on the show, another exciting launch in the market, Vogue Philippines. The stunning first issue is out now with 422 pages and a beautiful look at Filipino fashion, culture and trends. The magazine is edited by Bea Valdes and published by Suki Salvador, president of Mega Global Licensing, the company behind Vogue Philippines. We spoke about the first issue and more about the Philippines editorial market. Bea Valdes and Suki Salvador Welcome to Monaco24 to discuss an exciting launch, Vogue Philippines, which is amazing news. I've seen the issue, 422 pages, I believe. And perhaps, Bea, I'll start with you. I mean, one thing that I found interesting about you, you don't actually come from an editorial background, right? So tell us a bit yeah. more. How did you move that? I find it quite interesting because you might bring new things to that role as of editor-in-chief.
2: Well, thank you for that. And thank you for having us, Fernando. It's, it's really wonderful for us to be here today. You're right. I don't have much publishing background, although I think maybe 20 years ago, I did have a column in People Asia. And for about two years, I was a lifestyle writer in one of the newspapers. So I think that is, in terms of it, really the scope of my background related to this. However, I did spend the last 20 years in the fashion business as a designer for accessories, and for clothes, and really championing Philippine craft. So I think when I think of that perspective and bringing that to the magazine, that was really the focus that we had. And I think for Vogue in particular, because its values resonate so deeply locally, the values of inclusivity and diversity, sustainability, craft and creativity, I think those are universal. So... Again, it was also a lot of help from the whole team. I think there was a lot of reverse mentorship. And if I was worried in the beginning about the lack of experience I might have in publishing, I was reassured many times that Suki <laughs> and the whole team would be there to guide me. And they have magnificently. And I think, again, our issue is really about everybody's work. And I think it's, it's a testament to that.
0: And Suki, I want to put in the conversation, you, the publisher of Vogue Philippines, tell us a bit more, because I know you publish other magazines, I believe, Nylon, uh, Manila, how exciting it is that to publish uh, Vogue Philippines, because the Philippines comes across as, you know, quite a large market, and it's an important market as well for fashion. Uh, so tell us a bit more about that
3: you're right we've um, our publishing company is 30 years old this year and I've been with the company for 15 So I saw a lot of shifts I saw the print at its peak I saw the sunrise of digital and primarily for the last I would say 25 years we were a company that was publishing homegrown brands and in the last, two to four years, roughly, we then ventured into international licensing, which we began with with Nylon Manila, because it was a a shift to digital, because we felt like the Nylon market was very into online media, online content. And that's primarily the reason. And like, personally, I felt that venture was Practice for a brand of Philippines. So in 2020, after I don't even know how many Zoom meetings with Conde Nast, we were able to to get the deal in 2021 and launch this year.
0: And uh, Baya, reading the issue as well, I love that is very proud to be from the Philippines. I think it's quite. And that's super exciting because it's a country that I would love to know more. So I think it's actually aimed not just at Filipinos, but perhaps for others. Was that your intention as well? Because even the cover as well, it's about nature, it's about the books you need to read from Filipino authors. Uh, Tell us about that strong connection, actually, to the country itself.
2: Absolutely. I think when we were thinking about the first issue, the maiden issue, it was important to us that It was about identity, I think. Since we would be introducing Vogue to the Philippines, we were also introducing the Philippines to the whole world. So for us, it was this reciprocal relationship. And when we were crafting it, we have over 7,000 islands and three main islands. So for us, it was really, important to represent as much of the country as we could and we took local creatives as well as Filipinos who are based abroad because we felt like it was a form of homecoming almost and we really really did set up to showcase as much of the character and the value and the landscape and the creativity as we could and we were really hoping to to hit sports and food and family and design because again these are inherently things that As Filipinos, we gravitate towards, and we have so many creatives to be proud of. So it was really a conscious decision on our part to do that.
0: I just want to ask you as well about the cover, which is magical. I mean, where was it shot and who was the model, actually?
2: (laughs) It was actually shot on the island of Biri in Northern Samar, which is really sort of off the beaten track. And nobody in the whole team had ever been there before. So it was based on pictures and a lot of communications. And we did a small ocular beforehand and we found out the limestone formations are 23 million years old. So for us to be able to be able to tell a story at that starting point was very important. And then when we were actually fabricating or more formulating, what we would like to showcase Chloe Magno, who is our model, was always our top choice. She's a Filipina and an international model as well, so who is up and coming. So we were lucky enough to have her. And the story is, actually, we were talking about her with the team at British Vogue, and they said they had shot her on a feature they had, which had a video, which was about Southeast Asian representation. And the photographer and the video um, director who formulated it was called Sharif Hamza, And they said, well, maybe you should also have a look at Sharif because he's Filipino. And we had not known this. I think it was really exciting for us to discover that. Yeah, just sort of start that thread. And when we started communicating with him, he was 100% in. He really wanted to do something for the country. And I think it was so much that mindset that really sort of set the tone. And I know the shot, actually, the first shot of the first day. (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, they prepared at 4 a.m. And according to the team, before they started, he gathered everybody around and he said, I want to dedicate this shoot to my mother and to my grandmother. And we have to use this to show the beauty of the Philippines and the beauty of the Filipino woman and all of these people who have shaped our lives. So I think like people on their team were sort of teary-eyed but it just really set the whole tone of what we wanted to do for not just that shoot but for the whole magazine. It's
3: beautiful. Even hearing it again uh, (laughs) just now, it's like so beautiful. Like to me, it doesn't get old. I mean, it's, it's really a beautiful narrative.
0: And mm-hmm. Suki, what a confident launch as well. I think I mentioned already that it's 422 pages. I love a big fat magazine, I have to say. I like a lot of pages. I think it's, it's very nice. It shows that the market is healthy. Suki, as a publisher, how do you see the, the new stand or subscription in the Philippines? Is it an easy market or, or you know, you have experience or, ha- or there are some challenges? Uh, because I don't know much about
3: actually that market. Fernando, if you asked me this question perhaps four years ago, I would really say that logistics in the Philippines is very difficult. Because as Bea mentioned, we're 7,000 islands. We're not like Brazil, which is one giant country that you can get to by land, although it'll take you days, of course, to get from north to south. But yeah, we are a bunch of islands. So just to get people to move goods is very difficult. You have to either go by plane, by car, or by boat, or all three. But because of the pandemic, I think that a lot of companies were able to find a way to be able to deliver goods from medicine to food. And that applies also to things that are non-essential, like magazines. And so... When we saw that, we knew that this would be successful. We are able to send magazines to the southern part of the country in a day. And because of that, we were able to determine a really nice circulation number. And because of the thirst for a vogue, our own vogue. We we were confident that people would be able to access it, one, and number two, and really be able to afford it. So we were very confident and we're, and we're happy today that we've replenished maybe three or four times in our top news outlets. We are now available in in the UK as well as in New York and very soon in Paris. So just the world has gotten smaller, Fernando, and it's just easy to get a copy of Vote Philippines in Sao Paulo, where you are.
0: That's perfect, I can't wait. And can you <laughs> review the circulation? Do you know what's the circulation? Actually, is?
3: those are confidential. Um, but yes, uh, when we presented the numbers to Nast, they were very, they were saying, wow, this is really ambitious. And then when we filed our reports you know, regularly, they're like, wow, you're actually selling the magazine just as you promised. So we're, we're, they're very happy. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, Suki, but at least in two of the
2: international places that we stopped, we were sold out in a day, which is like, which is really amazing. So has been uh, quite a hunger for it. And we're so happy to have been able to to bring that to our fellow countrymen and different enthusiasts around the world.
0: And Bea, what's the relationship with Filipinos and and, and fashion? Uh, Because one of the things, again, reading the issue, I discover like new brands. I think there's one called BAYO, B-A-Y-O. Yeah. It's lovely to to, to discover kind of local brands. But is it because I know some Vogue's around the world are more focused on jewelry, fashion, makeup. Is there something about the Filipino woman, the way she dresses or what can you tell us?
2: I think the brands that we feature, I think, are really based on, I would say, craft, like the mindset of designers and the sort of dedication they have, or sort of if they have a vision that they're trying to fulfill. And that translates whether it's jewelry or whether it's a homegrown beauty brand or fashion as well. I think what's important to us is the story behind the creators and how they're moving that vision along. And I, I love that you mentioned bio, because I think also digitally, it was one of our most engaging stories. And her story is quite amazing, because what she's tried to do is fulfill this idea of sustainability and circularity and really um, concrete measures. She's interested in helping the farmers have healthier soil so that they can grow Philippine cotton. She's interested in using indigenous dyes so that the people who plant them will have who will have livelihood. And she sees it as a web that connects everybody. And I know she's building a factory that deals with end of life for fabric. So it's really this whole cycle. And along this, I know in the story we had, we paired her with an up and coming designer named Carl Jan Cruz, who really gave his sort of edgy twist to one of the sustainable fabrics they were working with the first Philippine circular fabric called Bakong. So again, it's It's a really robust kind of story when you think about it. And again, it's full of starting points that I think people can see themselves insert into in this whole supply chain. So as much as it is their story, it's also about giving people new mindsets of how they might be able to do something and how they might be able to participate. So we we love that engagement that the stories
3: bring to the readers. I just want to add to what Bea said, Fernando. I think that like anything beautiful comes at the right time. And I think with the millennials now and the millennials who, who truly care about sustainability, about rewearing clothes, this mindset was not the same, say, for my generation or the one from before. And I think that with companies like Bio and designers like Carl John Cruz and a Vogue that truly cares about the environment, it couldn't have. All just arrive at the right time, and I and I, I think that's what's beautiful about it. To come up with a product that's beautiful is one thing, but to get the support from an, an entire industry is another, and then finally the audience who would is, who's more than willing to consume products like these. It's quite magical.
2: Absolutely, and I think. Um... We always say that Vogue speaks to the zeitgeist, and even for our launch party, we had asked the people to come in rewear, so things that they had previously owned and everything. And people really came dressed to the ninth in all different kinds of wonderful clothes, really taking this idea to heart. So again, it's something that you can get the, everybody to practice in their own ways. So it was it was a wonderful way to launch the magazine as well.
0: Thank you very much, Bea and Sukia. Pleasure talking to you. And the first issue of Vogue Philippines is out now. That's it for this week's show. My thanks to our editor, Aden Heaton. Welcome to the stack. And if you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fpandmonocle.com. And remember, we're back next Saturday at 10 a.m. London time. Meanwhile, you can always listen to the show again at Monaco.com. And please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Before we go, a little song for you. Madness, our house. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye for me.
3: Mother wears his Sunday best. Mother's touch, she needs a rest. The kids are playing up downstairs. Sister's saying in her sleep Brother's
0: got a date to keep you coming around